Hello and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky and I'm looking at Marie across the Zoom and her little hat. <laughs> the hat doesn't pair that well with the glasses. Kind of flares the. Kind of like mine. <laughs> kind of looks like similar. Yeah, this is like a thing in LA. You know, everyone wears the. Oh, I the hipster beanies. No matter how hot it is, if I put one of those on my head, it had better be negative forty degrees. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm like boiling in that. It's really funny because when you live in this climate, your body just does not take heat. I mean, uh, cold at all. And uh, everyone around here is like it. So if I go to Texas for the winter, it doesn't even matter if it's like fifty-five degrees outside. I feel like I'm in Antarctica. You know, it's just really yeah. What are you fearing today? There's much to fear. You know, Halloween is coming up soon. Don't mm. you think? Yeah. <laughs> so I know we're gonna focus on Halloween a little bit this month. So it's gotten me to thinking a little bit about Halloween. And one thing that I do fear is the pressure to dress up for Halloween. I hate it. Like, I do. I, when I was a kid, I used to love it. I would get so into it. And then as I got older, you know, like college or whatever, especially when you're trying to like date people and you've come up with some costume and you're at a party and you're like, crap, this is not, I just met this really cool guy. but I'm like a giant cheese wedge or whatever and it's gonna take me like <laughs> 10 hours you did not go to a party in college no 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 this no. is a fucking cheese wedge no I'm just making that up I'm just making that up but whatever you know if you've got spirit gum on your face or I don't know you have a beard whatever like whatever weird choices you've made but the reverse of that is to be like slutty whatever I mean, right yeah so I saw this, uh, if I can find it, I'll share it with you, but it's a meme of like how you can make pretty much any costume uh, like sexy for Halloween. And there was like yeah. a, a sexy cockroach. <laughs> there I were you were going to say sexy COVID patient or something. No, that's great. Sexy COVID patient. That's what I want to be for Halloween. I mean, I guess... Once you mature and get older, you realize that's the way to go, right? Is just to be sexy something. It's the only night of the year that it's allowed, you know? I was trying to think of some of the other ones. I mean, I think sexy syphilis patient was one of them, which would <laughs> which would totally work. But I've thought maybe one of these years I'm going to be a sexy cockroach because I think that would be... <laughs> Please send me the I'm not very good at these sexy costumes. I'm like pulling at them all night and just uncomfortable. My favorite costume I ever wore, this was probably about three or four years ago. Well, Harley Quinn was my favorite, but then I went to a party and like five other people were Harley Quinn. But um, I was supposed to dress because Curtis was Napoleon Dynamite. And so I was going to dress as Summer Wheatley. That's funny. But then the Summer Wheatley outfit is... It was terrible. It's just that T-shirt that says Preston High School on it and a pair of shorts. Yeah. I just looked ridiculous. And I didn't even look like I was dressed up. So I just put on a, now I'm going to sound like an asshole. I had my old uniform from when I was on the drill team. So I put that on. <laughs> Let me tell you what was my favorite. First of all, I fit into the fucking thing. And second, I just wore white sneakers. And every girl's hobbling around at the end of the night with their shoes in their hands where they can't walk. I was like, I'm wearing these white kids where I'm just like the happiest girl in the world. It's like, now that we're getting into this, I can tell you I have made some really bad Halloween choices. Like in junior high, I think it was eighth grade. I went to the All Saints Festival and I created this like alien costume. It was handcrafted out of like a doll's mask and it was super creepy. And they almost like kicked me out of the All Saints thing because it was like too scary for children. So then the next year, for some reason, I dressed up like a jockey with like a mustache. <laughs> I can also a homemade costume I made up. I could send you a picture of me dressed as a jockey. You have to send me these pictures. But I have a whole series of pictures of me in drag. That's it's right. It's drag if I dress like a guy. So I'm saying like I'm at a party. And I meet a guy that I like, but now I'm dressed like a guy. You're dressed like a guy. You didn't think this through? I didn't think, think that through at all, girl. <laughs> so 
I just texted you, but I, I named you. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, so sexy cockroach, sexy, sexy frying pan. pan. Oh, that's the one I like. Sexy poop emoji. <laughs> so the sexy poop emoji, she's got like a poop hat and she's basically no. wearing Sexy tampon is probably better. Sexy tampon. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Okay, Becky. So next year, you're going to be sexy tampon. <laughs> you're going to be poo. And I'll be sexy poo. <laughs> oh, That's the name wow. of this episode already. I've already yeah. named it. <laughs> yeah. So now as an adult, it's like, I like the Halloween parties because you know, you drink, you eat some fun snacks, you watch horror films or pass out candy to kids or whatever. But I don't like dressing up, coming up with the costume, spending money on it. And then I universally make a bad choice. And then I'm uncomfortable all evening because of whatever stupid thing I've concocted. Do you ever notice that when you put on a certain costume, like maybe even Harley Quinn, right? Do you start taking on the persona of that oh I definitely think so you know when you wear a suit or you wear a dress that makes you just more confident and powerful and people treat you differently and yeah it absolutely affects how you behave in that outfit yeah yeah oh wait I'm supposed to ask you what your fear is (laughs) what are you fearing today (laughs) I am fearing Halloween candy that is something to fear do you remember that whole scare the whole time we were growing up? And I'm sure there's probably some people who still do it of Halloween candy is going to kill all of them. Yeah. When I was growing up, my parents worked at a children's home. So I lived in a house with 14 other kids and we would all go trick-or-treating in the neighborhood. And when we got home, we had to give our bag of candies. We had to like line them up in the front of the living room. And my parents went through the candy before they gave it to us. They inspected it. Yeah. My parents always did that. And there's a reason why. And and you could point to, you know, an urban legend, or you could say, well, I know somebody who one time had a razor blade and an apple, or, you know, well, first of all, somebody's giving out apples, razor blades don't go in the apples. They go in the real candy because no kid's going to eat the apple. So if you really want to hurt people, put it in the actual candy. Right. I mean, yeah, you're not going to kill kids with fruits and vegetables. It's just not, not likely. Not likely. What I want to talk about is the origins of the Halloween candy murder tale, the myth, the urban legend, and where it really began. It did. It came from somewhere. I'm going to tell you my sources first. ABC13.com outside of Houston. Historythings.com. And I'll tell you how this one article started because it's really great how this article begins. Harold Nassif, a former Pasadena, Texas detective sergeant, said this, Halloween night in 1974 was kind of a cold, kind of a misty, damp night. That doesn't set the scene, something wicked this way comes. And one of the things that, speaking of myths, people don't understand about Texas is that, man, it can get cold and it can get real cold. So it gets cold, usually Halloween night is when the cold weather comes. It'll be warm, 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 and then October 31, it gets cold right before everyone wants to go out trick-or-treating. So there was a family named the O'Briens, and along with a few of their children's friends, they took their children trick-or-treating up and down this one particular street. They were having a lot of fun. I mean, it's Halloween. I don't have to woman-splain why Halloween is fun for kids. Is that a thing, woman-splaining? Why not? I just think of it as like Becky-splaining. Why can't it be woman-splaining? You never woman-splain? No. Yeah, I promise you do. Maybe. I just like to make myself an individual when I do it. I don't want to be classified you as a call woman. Marie Splaining? Uh, Marie Splaining, yes. But I don't want to be classified as, as it just being like womanly explaining. It's okay. unique. It's unique. Do I really have to Becky Splain woman Splaining to you? <laughs> I'm Marie Splaining this shit to you right now, <laughs> but go ahead. It is a cold and misty damp night in Pasadena, Texas in 1974. On Halloween night, the O'Briens are trick-or-treating. They're having a good time. Kids are all dressed up and everyone's laughing. So they they get to one house and nobody answers the door for a few minutes. And the dad, Ronald O'Brien, hung back uh, waiting for the door to be answered. And so everyone else was like, well, I guess they're not home. They didn't see any lights on. So they skipped on down to the next house. Well, a couple minutes later, Ronald catches up with the children. 
and he had a handful of candies and chocolates and pixie sticks that he said that he got from the household before that had answered the door after everybody walked away. So Ronald starts handing out the candy to his children and his children's friends. And his eldest child, Timothy, grabbed one of the giant pixie sticks from his father and he immediately started eating it. Now, to me, I don't remember eating candy while I was trick-or-treating. I thought we had to get home, but maybe that's just because my parents inspected it and nobody did that before. Do kids just eat it on the walk? I mean, I guess it just depends on the amount of supervision. Like when I was older and my parents weren't supervising me, I definitely think I would eat it on the walk. Okay. But anyway, all right. His oldest uh, kid, Timothy, took one of the pixie sticks from his father and he started eating it immediately. And he said right away, it tasted really bad, tasted really bitter. And Ronald had some Kool-Aid that he handed to the kid. I guess he brought a thermos with him. And so his child, Timothy, washed down the bitter tasting pixie sticks with Kool-Aid. And almost immediately, Timothy started vomiting uncontrollably and he started convulsing. And it was a bad scene, but it was instantaneous. And so Ronald O'Brien called an ambulance to come and help his son. Ambulance came, they tried everything they could. They didn't know what was wrong with him. An hour later, Timothy was dead one hour later and the police of course were involved immediately they looked into what was he doing what was he eating and he had eaten the pixie sticks they tested the pixie sticks and it turns out the pixie sticks were found to be filled with what marie you want to guess cyanide there you go cyanide where do you get cyanide by the way this is another thing to me like certain things like drugs and things i don't even know where you get them I don't know. I really don't. Well, we all know what happened. You know, what is that, 50 years later? Parents across the country vowed to never celebrate Halloween again. I mean, that news ruined Halloween for many, many years. And even still today, I think parents are so meticulous about where they take their kids on Halloween. It's not, it's not like run down the street and I'll see you later tonight. Right. And a lot of places do, the churches do the trunk or treat. Yeah. Like as a kid, can you imagine if you've been doing the normal Halloween and then that your parents are like, hey, this year we're going to go to the church and go by everybody's trunk and get candy. Yeah. <laughs> like oh. awful. Yeah. Yes. Awful. <laughs> and like all these churches that made this movement where somehow Halloween was evil and and it was like All Saints Day or the harvest celebration day it's like you know all hallows eve and all this stuff goes back to the celts and stuff i mean it just right. goes back right and as we determined last year christmas has a lot of creepy traditions yeah, too <laughs> so my fear is uh, also that i'm gonna ask you to do the 12 years of christmas again <laughs> you can allay that fear because we already determined we're never doing that again <laughs> So keep in mind that our buddy uh, Ronald over here had um, given out that candy and he'd given it to all the children who were there. And Timothy was the only one who opened it right then and ate it. None of the other children ate theirs. Actually, if he had just put a little less cyanide, it might have worked better because kids are notorious for one kid going, oh, this is gross. And the other one's like, oh, let me try it. <laughs> True too. But if you think about the way some of these poisons work, if he'd had a better plan, he could have gotten away with it. He really could have, but he did too much and he did it immediately. Now, he might not have thought his kid would open the thing up and pour the whole thing in his mouth, but that's how you eat pixie sticks. You know? Right. Well, so Ronald was shocked and really just, you know, I mean, your, your kid died. Well, he even gave an emotional eulogy, not a dry eye in the house at his own son's funeral. And later evidence revealed that where Ronald said that the pixie sticks were, where he said he'd gotten them, hmm, nobody was home that night. That family, they were like out of town or something. Nobody was there. So when he was confronted with this, and suppose it's you, suppose you, Marie, are confronted with, hey, Ronald, you know, 1402, you know, Elm Street, they were out of town that night. So you want to try your bullshit story again, sir? What would you do if you were confronted with that? If you had murdered your son, claiming it came from somebody's house, I would say, well, I, maybe it wasn't that house. I don't know. Like, 
maybe somebody was in the house that they don't know about. I don't know who gave me the candy. It was dark, but you know, whatever. That would have been better than what he did. He started saying it was other houses and he started naming houses until every single one, the police were like, nope, nobody was home. Nope, nobody was home. Nope, they didn't do the pixie sticks. But if he'd said that maybe they had a house sitter, you know, maybe somebody came came to the door and just started Ronald didn't think things through the way Marie does. So turns out no one was home. He changed his story about where he got all the candy. And then they start looking into Ronald's behavior over the previous, well, let's say year. A couple of things came to light about Ronald. Number one was he was in huge financial distress. He had much debt. He was trying to keep up with the Joneses and he was not even making it a secret to anyone what desperate financial straits he was in. And so he also had life insurance policies on his children and he had increased those life insurance policies by quite a bit in recent days before Halloween. Remember it was a golden rainy night. So Mr. O'Brien, Donald, Ronald, whatever the fuck his name is, had a raincoat on. And so unbeknownst to the friends that he was with, his own children and their friends, he had the pixie sticks already shoved up the sleeves of his raincoat. And so all he was doing was waiting until they got to a house that was where nobody would be home. And he was going to stay back, pretend like he got the candy, you know. And one of the creepiest things is that detective, Nassif, he said, I found, remember these, an adding machine tape. He said it had all of his bills written out next to the numbers on an adding machine tape. It came to almost the exact amount of what he stood to collect. Ugh. Can you imagine being that cop and finding that though? What a fucking eureka moment that is. Yeah. Wasn't it like a hundred thousand dollars or something too? Oh, I thought it was like 30. I mean, I thought it was like Oh, 30, okay. So it's something low, but I was just thinking about it because a lot of people get into credit card debt or have these like chronic financial problems. Someone helps them out or they clear the debt and then they just go back to it again. It's almost like yeah, it's almost like hoarding or anything else. Like you can't just have the debt cleared and then start fresh. You have to like go through some sort of therapy. You have to figure yeah. out why you're doing it, you yeah. know? I know stories of people who've wiped out their 401ks to pay off the debt and then they go back again. They borrow money from family and then they go back again. But I'm like, let's say you try all those things and then your last resort is to kill your kid. It's like, well, once you play the kill your kid card, I think you've hit rock bottom. <laughs> I mean, like you have no other options. Like, what do you kill your spouse then? Do you take out an insurance policy on your friend who has cancer? Like, once you start killing people to pay off. Uh, your- that's the Pam Hupp method yeah. of, of gaining $100,000. Yeah. This is not sustainable. Killing people to pay off your credit card debt is not sustainable. Well, here's the thing as well. Let's go dark for a second. Okay. What if you plan to kill all the kids? Well, it sounds like he did. The pixie stick thing was like a mass kid killing. It was like the people in Guyana who drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, it was going to be wipe out his entire fucking family. He should have just bought a house on a sinkhole in Florida, you know, and then moved everybody in and then took a trip. And I mean, there's better ways to kill your whole family. Like, there's also better ways to get out of debt. That's obvious, but I'm saying <laughs> if that's the path you're going to go down, right? Then like do something that you can distance yourself from a little a little better. That's just, yeah. I don't know. But think about this. This is one of the things why I want to do this show and why I study criminology and communication is I want to know what motivates people to cross that line of making that horrific horrible decision and I know that a lot of people are psychopaths or sociopaths I get that I don't know about this guy I have no idea about who he was before he found this place in his life where he was who he turned out to be but imagine being that man and you have that moment where your your son has his hand out oh I got you got candy can I have it and you put it in his hand you know it's one thing to me to plan it and to even get close to doing it. You know what I mean? Like somebody like wants to have an affair, like the Candy Montgomery, and they plotted and planned for like eight months before they ever fucked, right? But had they made a turn and never done it, okay, that's, you had the opportunity to not do it. 
And it's not like he mixed it up with his kid's candy. He actually was the one who handed it to him. I mean, I don't know what to do with that level of- Yeah. I mean, even if a, a murder that you're planning is righteous, like you want to kill somebody that's abusing your sister or your or brother or whatever, like even the steps that it takes for you to go there, it's, it's a big leap to yeah. go to killing someone. So most of the time, you know, when people who aren't disturbed kill someone, it's a spur of the moment thing. You know, it's like a yeah. crime of passion or you're being threatened in some way. It's the plotting and planning that's that's super disturbing and how, but I guess in Ronald's thinking, I just don't understand why he thought that was his only option. Right, right. And that's that's another thing I would point out to people too with all these situations, whether it's a, a relationship breaking up or debt or whatever you think you're struggling with. Imagine the worst thing that could happen. That's probably not what's going to happen. You know, you just have to give it time. like. File for bankruptcy if you have to. Start over again with a new relationship if you have to. I'm not saying it's not going to be painful for a period of time or suck. You know, maybe you have to take a second job. Maybe you have to make some sacrifices about your lifestyle. But if you just take the necessary steps to move on from this situation and get healthy again, you'll be better in no time. That's my opinion. And maybe I'm probably right. No, you're exactly right. Because the, the worst thing that you think will happen, A, it won't happen. And B, if it does, it won't be as bad as you think. It is never as bad as you think. And I mean, like, it's never as bad as you think. And, and sometimes things can go better. But the other thing about this whole money thing, you know, this one thing is going to solve my money problems, is even when people file bankruptcy and they wipe their debts away, you know, they will end up filing bankruptcy again. Very rarely do people do it just once. And you have a blank slate, or you've at least paid off most of your debt, and you have no debt now. You, you know, all you have is your house mortgage or maybe a car payment. That's it. But they will still end up doing it again. They'll end up doing it again. I, I, I watched it happen. I literally worked for an attorney and watched it happen. It was so frustrating. It was so frustrating. And then they would make them take these classes, you know, about how to do finance. Again, like you said, it's pretty much got to be like some pretty intense therapy like a gambling debt or a, you know you're chemically addicted to whatever the buying stuff is like the word it's dr- it's like drug abuse or anything else yeah for it's sure. that same part of your brain where drugs and alcohol and even like addict you know love addicts or sex addicts mm-hmm. the same part of your brain gets hit um and so maybe this dude has just had crossed this line and 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 he'd rather lose his own child than lose his lifestyle i don't know man that is it would be interesting to know more about Ronald, I'm sure. I mean, that's part of that's part of the problem too. I mean, I know with serial killers and stuff, we're we're all over that, right? Yeah. Um, I I know details about serial killers more so than I know about like people I have actual relationships with. So but when it comes oh, to some yeah, of the I mean, don't we all? Wait, well, right, right. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. But in some of these cases of people like, like this guy, Ronald, I would like to know more about his upbringing and like his life. And I mean, I know it's comforting to people to hear that someone has, wasn't yesterday mental health awareness day? I think it was. Oh, was it? Yeah. It's comforting to people sometimes to hear that everything is a mental health issue, but not everything is. Sometimes things are just selfishness or bad behavior. Level of, um. I guess selfishness. Sometimes we we throw around the word narcissist a lot. You know, uh, maybe I don't know. I don't know if this is that. You know, because a lot of times, like like say family annihilators. If he planned to wipe out his entire family because he felt like such a shameful thing, and then the poison didn't get to all of them, so it didn't end up wiping out his entire family. You know, right? So yeah, I mean, this could have been a different kind of a plot. Okay. So his wife's name De- Danine. That's a cute name, Danine. And his two children, Timothy and Elizabeth. And he was in serious debt, this guy. And he was open with telling anyone and everyone that he was in serious debt. That's number one. And number two, remember when we did that episode on murder plots and how dumb people are? He was asking anybody and everybody if they knew how to get a bunch of arsenic. Well, number one, you don't need arsenic or cyanide. It was cyanide. How do I get a bunch of cyanide? And 
when your child dies by cyanide, people are going to remember that you asked them about cyanide. I mean, I don't, I've never been asked about, hey, where do I get a bunch of cyanide? But it's pretty common that people will have asked other people to murder their families. And so when they finally die, people will remember that and they come forward and they don't keep their mouth shut, you know? Here's the dad. Here's the murderer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Your average looking dude, right? Yeah. And then there's a picture of the little boy that he killed. Let me see if I can find that. It's just like, oh, come on, man. And he's just adorable and everything, you know? Oh, here's the little boy that he, his son that he killed. Oh, that's terrible. No. So cyanide is one of those things that that's what the Nazis were taking whenever like people, when they get caught. Oh, the little, the capsule. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it pretty much kills you instantly, which coincides with, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't believe that cyanide is a product in rat poison. I believe that's arsenic. But the thing about cyanide, and this is maybe why he chose it. It smells sweet. One of them smells sweet, cyanide. Oh, I think it's arsenic. Because remember, people were putting arsenic in like soda and stuff. I thought that was antifreeze. Oh, it's antifreeze. You're right. You're right. We're really bad at this. Okay. If you come here for accuracy or like uh, details on how to plot a murder, you are in the wrong fucking place. (laughs) We're not giving out good. so I'm looking, I don't know if sodium, I just went to a website, sorry. It's what is sodium cyanide and how to import it? And there's, but I don't know if sodium cyanide is the same thing as cyanide. It does say that sodium cyanide is used in rodent killers. Now somebody named Tina wants to sell me some sodium cyanide. <laughs> I better get out of that website. I bet Tina does. <laughs> now you're going to start getting phone calls. If you or a loved one has ingested cyanide. All right, so we're investigating after the emotional eulogy and everybody's just like, well, he lost his family. And, and, you know, and one of the things I'm going to maiden head off the expressway for a second. That one of the things that makes me nuts is when people refer to their children or their parents as their best friend, especially if the child is really young. I find that just so disingenuous and gross. If your best friend is an eight-year-old and you're an adult human, you need to take a look at yourself because that's not right. You need to have friends your own age. It cannot be your best friend. Anyway, so I'm sure he was up there going, oh, this Timothy was my best friend. Well, I lost my best friend. And like, so we all know that was a fucking lie because he handed his kid a pixie stick full of poison. So one of the things that he did was he had in the past year, you know, up the life insurance and everything. And it said he had tried and failed to buy cyanide where he worked. He worked for like an optical company, whatever the fuck that means. Um, so he tried to get the cyanide at work and he left a trail of having researched poison earlier in the year. So this has been going on for months. This plot had been going on for months. A salesman at a nearby chemical outlet remembered having seen Ronald asking where he could obtain large quantities of the stuff. Now, what do you need? large quantities of the stuff. That's where I'm going with, was he really trying to wipe out his entire family? Maybe he had something else poisoned that his wife would eat, but then the child died so quickly that she never ate anything in the house. Or when the police came in, they confiscated all the food and everything in the home and whatever else was poisoned, no, nobody ate. I don't know, you know, but large quantities. Why do you need cyanide at all? There's really no reason. Wipe out the whole neighborhood? Yeah, there's no reason to have cyanide. There's no reason to have sarin gas. There's no reason to have. We watched this documentary recently. It's it's very poorly made, but fascinating. It's called Shiny Flakes. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's basically a teenager in the Netherlands who was on the dark web. And he was just talking with guys on the dark web and learning about hacking. And he found out that people were selling drugs online on websites just out in the open. So he decided, I'm going to do that. So he researched it. He made friends with people on the dark web and they would ship him drugs and he would package them up and put gummy bears in them. And he had like really nice packaging and advertising. And he didn't do drugs, by the way. He'd never even tried any of the drugs that he was selling. But uh, when the police finally caught him, it was like the largest drug bust that they had ever. I mean, and he was doing it all out of his bedroom in his mom's house. 
he just put a lock on his door but it was fascinating how i mean but the idea that now there's pretty much anything you can get or do on the dark web and yeah i mean a lot of it you know if you're inexperienced you're getting scammed but a lot of it is legit too like this kid was literally sending people molly cocaine heroin like all that stuff he was getting it from a source and selling it to people so i'm assuming you could get cyanide you could get some of these things yeah but give me that's those 1974 though give me one non-nefarious reason a random dude who doesn't work for um, a landscape company who doesn't work for a chemical company or whatever would need large quantities of cyanide no, no, from I, the I, local I, chemical guy this is, there's no non-nefarious reason for that. Not only is there no non-nefarious reason for it, it's also a good way to get caught, right? Because it's not common. So you'd be better off spending like 20 years grinding up cherry pits exactly. or nutmeg, put nutmeg doing? in with the pixie sticks, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy says, what do you need it for? What's your answer gonna be? What are you gonna say? You have to come up with a story. Yeah, that's a good question. There was some... It was uh, one of the, the 9-11 plots. They caught some guys that were trying to create a bomb. And actually the guy was at Texas Tech trying to order large quantities of a substance. And I don't remember what it is, but it's known for bomb making. He, I guess, called a company that sells this bomb making product and said he was working on some cattle thing or some fertilizer. It was some the agricultural thing as a part of his final studies at Texas Tech. Right. But it was large quantities of it. So even for a study, it was too much. And so rather than saying to the guy on the phone, well, this is too high a quantity of this product, they just said, okay, well, we'll look into it and get back to you. And then they called the FBI. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's my point. Your point is that there's never any justifiable reason for an individual outside of a company to be getting large quantities of deadly substances. That is what I'm saying. And I want somebody to explain to me what those would be if they weren't related to agriculture, because <laughs> I don't know what else they would be. I really don't. So maybe if you're creating, you've come up with like a cyanide propelled time machine or something, and it's like a top secret project that you're doing out of your garage. I don't know. Works with the people. Sorry. <laughs> come on. Uh, I was going to go back in time. At least come up with back. something good. Um, or I'm testing the effects of cyanide on the neighborhood children. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's other than that. Yeah. But this, like I keep saying, like, what was his plan? Was it that the entire neighborhood was going to get poisoned too? Is he just going to keep handing them out? Well, he gave them to the other kids. He gave them to the other kids. So I think he was hoping if multiple children died, it would take care. That's exactly what he was hoping. That's exactly what he was hoping. It's like the Mormon guy that blew himself up to throw the trail off. Try and frame it. Yeah, throw him off his trail. I mean, this guy probably should have eaten some pixie stick too. That might have helped. That's true. So one of the things that to me just makes my skin crawl is that According to people that he worked with and, and people in his life, he'd been showing an alarming interest, alarming interest in poisons, especially cyanide poisons, for as far back as a year and a half. This man was raising his two children and plotting their deaths. He just wasn't quite sure how he was going to do it. And then finally, in Halloween of 1974, he was like, this is how I'm going to do it. You know, this is becoming, this is becoming more interesting, Ronald's psychology, because, you know, in World War II, that was, like I was saying, that was the way that people, if they were committing crimes, like the Nazis and stuff, that they would have a cyanide pill. I actually think Americans were probably given them too, like, you're dropped in enemy territory, and rather than giving up the information, you fight this cyanide pill. That was an obsession with people. It was talked about a lot, the the concept of the cyanide pills. So it is possible that Ronald just became obsessed with that kind of stuff. An example would be uh, tasers, right? I've heard plenty of stories of people that get obsessed with tasers and then they want to tase themselves or tase someone else. So I I just wonder, who are these people? The minute boys get a hold of tasers, they're tasing themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
I just wonder if Ronald got obsessed with the concept of poisoning or the effects of cyanide or the effects of this drug and just got to a point where he wanted to try it out. And it just also fit his purposes of. Right. I mean, don't you think a lot of these serial killers are obsessed with death and torture and the effects of what they're doing on other people? Like the alcohol. Yeah, but this guy, I mean, he had been, his life had, you know, taken a turn with his debt situation and stuff, you know? I mean, I know it's all related and we're just speculating, but if he had, you know, everything was going on the up and up and he was making all the money and he could keep up with his debts, I don't know that he would have turned to murder. There are a lot of people who murder just because of debt, just because of money, even though the manner of death is not what's interesting to them, you know? So I don't know. I mean, this guy, who fucking knows? So he just thought he came up with the perfect plot and he thought cyanide or whatever reason he thought cyanide was going to be the vehicle that that made it work for him. I'm sure he had some logic behind it. We just never know. And so the thought process to me is I'm in debt. Where do I get money? Where do I get it relatively quickly? Um, I tried everything else. I'm supposing he tried everything else. And then Ah, life insurance. What do I have to do? Step one, up everyone's life insurance. Step two, figure out how I'm going to get rid of them and implement actually getting rid of them, pay off my debts. That was the horrifying step by step by step. You know, there are some people, and I want to say Pam Huff was one of them. There are some people, if you watch these murder shows or listen to these podcasts, who make checklists of how they're going to kill somebody. That checklist will be found after somebody's killed. I mean, the checklist of Okay, on this date, buy gun. Like, they, like you're gonna forget to buy your gun. Like they have checklists, you know. It's like cover your trail, bruh. I, mean, I would probably have a checklist, but I would get rid of it. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> yes, exactly. Ronald, this entire time is, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Somebody else killed my kid. Somebody else killed my kid. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Look over there. There's a shiny thing. And everyone's like. Mm, I don't think so. And a jury took, how long do you think the jury took? Um, 30 minutes. Ah, one hour. Actually, they say less than an hour, so it could have been 30 minutes um, to say, guilty as fuck, Ronald. And they sentenced his happy ass to death. Wow. How long did that take? One hour and five fucking minutes. So did he get executed? Ronald is no longer with us. Yes, he did get executed. Did yeah. they force him to eat some cyanide-laced pixie sticks? <laughs> and just give him some Kool-Aid? Right. The, the Harris County Assistant District Attorney prosecuted Ronald O'Brien. Okay, And in the decades since, this is just a really well-written article in um, statesman.com by Eric Dexheimer. And I'm going to Quote directly, you might think that Mike Hinton's anger had ebbed in the decades since he was assigned to prosecute O'Brien, the father accused of poisoning his own son's Halloween candy, or that in the 25 years since O'Brien was executed, Hinton would prefer to let the past dissolve into receding memories. You'd be wrong, though, and this is a quote, and I wish I knew his exact accent because this is brilliant. He goes, I never get tired of talking about that sorry ass son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm like, I love him. I love this man. Don't you picture his, his 10 gallon hat and he's got his boots and he's like Houston lawman guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he says, ever since he convinced a jury O'Brien deliberately murdered his eight-year-old son, oh, oh, by feeding him cyanide lace pixie sticks, Clinton's recollections have not faded, but rather resolved into sharper focus. He said he remembers details of the case just like it was last night. Such as, oh, this is so fucking creepy. He remembers when, in a near empty courtroom during the trial, Ronald O'Brien, later dubbed the Candyman, turned to him and offered him a Tootsie Roll. Can you fathom the level of psychopathy? Like, just think how fun it'll be where I'm on trial for murdering my son and I'm going to offer the DA a piece of candy. I hope he said that in the closing arguments. By the way, when we were alone, he handed me some candy. Convict this motherfucker. Isn't that gross? 
So this is basically where the whole everyone tripped out about candy came from. This is the origin of it. This is the origins of it. Just like in a lot of other urban legends, there's a little bit of truth to it or a lot of truth to it. And if you've never watched the movie Cropsy, you should watch it. It's a great documentary. Have you seen it? I haven't, no. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. It's the boogeyman. It's the origins of the boogeyman. And it's pretty much real of what this guy did. Cropsy, and it's a documentary. And the same filmmaker made one about urban legends that are based in reality. And he covered this one. This was years ago, but I don't know the name of that movie, but um, you should watch it too. It's oh, creepy, creepy. Also, this pop who I love with his 10-gallon hat and his cowboy boots up on the top of the desk. He remembers on the night of O'Brien's execution, March 31st, 1984, that he himself returned to his childhood home in Amarillo, took a boat out on the lake, and lifted a Miller beer in silent celebration as he floated in the darkness. I was like, I can see that. Because one of the things that the attorneys and everybody and the police said about this case was that you never forget when you see a little tiny nine-year-old's body on that slab being cut open by the medical examiner. Like he's so tiny and it's so cold in there and he was alive a few hours ago or whatever. And they just said that that image is something that never leaves you, you know? And I can imagine, I can imagine that if I were to become an attorney, I would want to have been a prosecutor and I would be like, give me this motherfucking case. I want to prosecute the shit out of this. Right. You know? right. I'm not a death penalty person. I'm not for the death penalty. Um, but if I were an attorney and I had to argue for it, I could argue this one. I'm just saying. I've always been a little annoyed by these news reports where it's like, 50 people die and a child, you know, was one of them. And then they focus on the child. Like that was the only tragedy. I think when all people are murdered is a tragedy. But what I think is when it comes to like, particularly children and also animals, people look at it in such a way because it's like a completely helpless victim. Yeah. Adults are supposed to protect the little ones. Right. Right. That's our job. Or like when you hear a story about like a person in a nursing home being attacked, it's like, this is a completely helpless person. Yeah. So I think that's why it impacts us more in a lot of ways, because we just look at it like this person really had no chance to defend themselves or this. Yes. yes. You know. And there's, you know, there's something um, biological and evolutionary about it too. Like, even if you are not the parent of a kid you are affected by that baby's cry that touches something deep inside of us that we are supposed to protect that kid. Just like there's a reason why every species when they're tiny babies is so cute. Like they're designed that way in evolution so that we want to protect them. So when something comes at you that is like the cutest thing you've ever seen, your entire being is like nothing matters other than to protect this thing, which is one of the reasons why when you see a picture of like a helpless person, a helpless little baby or a little girl or like, and you go, wait, you took, you took out that person. That's who we're supposed to protect. Right. Yeah. It does strike us as a, as a particularly, not just emotional, but on our fundamental cellular level, when somebody not only fails to protect, when an adult man makes a decision to take out a kid and much less your own kid, yeah, I think that hits so many, that's so against everything we're designed to do as not design, I keep saying design, but you know, that, that we are. Yeah. Well, it's definitely that whole Carl Jung theory that when you see something, you experience both sides of it simultaneously. I mean, I experience this all the time, like little kittens, for instance, that are super helpless. It does give me this sense of like, what you're saying is so cute and so joyful, but there's also this part of me that's like, oh my gosh, this kitten is like so helpless. And something bad could happen to it you know I have this feeling sometimes with my nieces and nephews too like they're so cute and naive and I'm like oh my gosh there's such targets for bad people you know but I'm sure every parent has that feeling you're supposed to feel that protective thing as a parent and so had this guy murdered a neighbor it's I think that's just a different thing from murdering your yeah. own child and again like what you said it's not like he got angry at the kid and punched him because he spilled something and he accidentally killed him or killed him in a raid it plotted for over a 
fucking year. And then I go to how much it affected how many millions of people across the world in the 50 years since in our experience of this joyful celebration of kids dressing up in uh, like little angels or little cockroaches or whatever. Sexy cockroaches. <laughs> and it affected us so much, so much. And that, like, especially in the few years after, you know, probably in the mid seventies, I bet you nobody trick-or-treated. Even though the story was not that people put random, you know, poison into their candy and hand it out. A man deliberately plotted to murder his own kid was the real story. It's still people, you know, you remember the first thing you hear. I went down this rabbit hole of looking into people who have been poisoned by Halloween candy. And I found this uh, Snopes article and this was published in November of 2000. And there have been a number of actual cases of people randomly distributing poison goodies yeah. to children at Halloween. But New York that I remember, but I would say that in most of these cases, it's not even really worth, I don't think, going through the examples, but in most of these cases, it's the same thing as the O'Brien thing. Oh, really? It's people you know, it's family members. Do you recollect the way I recollect that when we were children, we never heard this story about a man poisoning his own son or people, what you're saying, poisoning their own children or family members. It was this boogeyman, this witch who lived down the road. Which house hides the evil person who might put poison Snickers bars into your Halloween bag? That was the message that we all received, that we were looking around every ficus bush for the local madman who managed to hide in plain sight. There was one example in this article where there were some sun-kissed fruit dinosaurs. This was in 1988 that had a suspicious powder on it. And the police lab labeled it as strychnine. And when it was retested by the Food and Drug Administration, it was actually cornstarch. Even in 84, we should have been able to figure that out. Yeah. A lot of the times it's misinterpreted or somebody dies of something else and it just happens to be after they eat Halloween candy. But this woman, Helen Feifel of Greenlawn, New Jersey, was annoyed that too many trick-or-treaters were too old to be asking for candy. So she made packages of inedible treats to give to teenagers. Oh my God, girl. The packages contained dog biscuits, steel wool pads, and ant buttons, which were clearly marked as poison on the label with the skull and crossbones she also turn your lights off and don't answer the door (laughs) right you know i wonder about the 1988 story that you just said because remember the tylenol poisoning two separate tylenol poisoning cases in the 80s the one out of seattle that got solved and the one out of chicago that did not we still don't know who did the one in chicago to this day and i wonder how much that like is the idea that school shootings are uh, contagious Meaning once one happens, others follow. Mass shootings, same thing, right? Suicides, same thing. They happen in clusters. And I wonder if the cyanide stuff, this guy just informed other people's ideas as to how to do harm to the public. Moving on into the 80s, you know, like he, he didn't poison the public, but maybe they think, ah, you know, I can poison the public. I could make everyone from now on have to have child protective caps on their aspirin bottles. Right, right. Here's another case in Detroit in 1972. Five-year-old Kevin Toppleson lapsed into a coma and died four days later of a heroin overdose. Analysis of some of his candy showed it had been sprinkled with heroin. So, of course, everyone thought this was another case of kids getting poisoned. Well, it turns out that after an investigation, the boy had accidentally gotten into his uncle's heroin stash and poisoned himself. And that the family sprinkled heroin in the kids' candy after the fact to protect the uncle. Well, look at what happened. Homeboy over here, two and a half years later, starts plotting to poison his kid. I wonder if that spurred his imagination. What if I really did do the Halloween thing? And, you know, people really did get poisoned from what I'm doing. That's how I can take out my kids. Right. Um, And in the case of candy, I do think that people need to investigate all candy that they give their kids because some candies are made in other countries. And sometimes like there's candies that have come over from Mexico and China that that have lead in them that can be dangerous. And I remember a story not that long ago of this candy that was manufactured in Asia and 
it's so creepy and like stuck with me for the longest time. It's called mini fruit gels. And I don't know if you've seen a picture no. of them. No. But this is what they look like. They're little, little gel cups. Okay. And it's made from this substance that does not dissolve very easily. And in particular, little kids were swallowing them. Yeah, the, the fruit cups contain konjac, a jelly that um, is slow to dissolve. So kids were swallowing it and it was getting stuck in their throat. And then as it did start to dissolve, it hardened. Ah. And there was no way to save the kid because it literally congealed to their throat and they choked to death and died. And it's not like you can just go in there and cut it out of the kid's throat because it's all like gooped into it and stuff. Oh my God. A nine-year-old San Jose girl was paralyzed from the neck down and will remain in vegetable state for the rest of her life after choking on lychee flavored mini gel snack. God. Yeah. So if you're thinking about like candies that somebody are lacing with poison, there's plenty of candies out there that are questionable. So definitely make sure when you look through your kid's candy, make sure it's not some dollar store off-brand candy from China. No kidding. That it's like a reputable. Yeah. So I think that that got banned in other countries. They have these chocolate balls that have surprises inside them, like little toys. And those got banned in the United States because kids were choking on them too. Who would have thought that's a good idea? <laughs> to put non-edible things inside of a chocolate ball? Really stupid what idea. What could go wrong? Right? <laughs> oh my Lord. Well, uh, y'all, this is uh, one of our two Halloween episodes that we plan on yeah. doing. Y'all be safe out there this Halloween. And if you want to be slutty and hoary on Halloween, you do it, girl. You own yeah. that shit. Or if you want to yeah. be... A sexy poo emoji, then you can do that too. If you are a sexy tampon or a sexy cockroach, please send us a picture. Oh my God, please send us a picture. <laughs> Gotta start figuring out a way to get to bribe people to give us reviews because I know a lot of podcasts they bribe people. They, they will literally send you something in the mail if you screenshot proof that you did a review or whatever. I mean, you offered to have pictures of me like shoving bread into my face, and that yeah, didn't. I guess that wasn't enough of an incentive. No. Do something even grosser than that. So come up with whatever that is, and we'll talk about that for. <laughs> yeah, I don't have time to make a sexy tampon costume. I'm pretty busy right Who now. Does? Who does? <laughs> Who does? We are all busy. Tampons. I hope that that I reach a point in my life where I have nothing to do and I can make a sexy tampon costume. I hope we are still doing this show when that comes around. I know that I've made it when when I have that much time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs>